You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning, LifePoint. How are you? Thank you for being here. If you're watching online, welcome as well. Would you let us know in the comments that you're here and where you're watching from? We'd love to hear from you as well. So you made it to the right service. Congratulations. You had a 33% chance of being here at the right service, and you did it. So give yourselves a hand on that. How many of you enjoyed the Christmas Eve service? Let's give everybody a hand. Joe and his team, Pastor Nathan, all did an awesome job. Hopefully you were able to experience that. And hope you had a, hopefully you had a great Christmas. Did everyone have a good Christmas? Very good. It's uh, kind of sad a little bit the day after. You put all this effort into Christmas and all of a sudden it's over. But if it's encouraging at all, 364 days left until Christmas. So I think at that rate, you might as well just leave up the lights, right? I mean, it's a lot better, so. All right, I'm going to pray before we get started. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to proclaim your name and your goodness. Thank you so much for coming, Lord, to this earth as we remember during Christmas. Lord, help us remember that you are here in our midst, that you did not leave, Lord. You sent your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are coming back again. And we just are thankful that we are in a position to worship you, to give you the glory. We pray that you would be with us during this time and help us to hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, In case you didn't get a January event card, those are out front, so make sure you grab that. We put a lot of time and effort into making sure that uh, you know what's going on, and those event cards are a great way to put on your fridge, put the dates into your calendar uh, so you know what's coming up. Uh, And another thing coming up is New Year's is right upon us. Who makes New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? So what's interesting is that I was doing some research, and about 27% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Not very high. And about 80% of those people break them by February. (laughs) So that's usually how it goes with New Year's resolutions. They're made to be broken. And uh, I worked in retail for many years, and I saw this firsthand. So what happens is you have seasons, and right after summer, you start preparing for Halloween and the fall And then you start preparing for Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And immediately after Christmas, it was so funny because we would always put out the healthy stuff, the fitness stuff. At the front of the store, you'd have the granola, you'd have the sparkling water, you'd have the nuts, all these things to get back into the swing of things healthy. The fitness equipment would be all over the end caps. And what was even more funny is about week two or three into January, all that stuff would go away. Because what comes up? Super Bowl. Super Bowl, Valentine's Day, all that stuff. And you would see it, you know, the, the frozen stuff would now be frozen pizza. You'd have uh, the chips, the soda, uh, all that stuff come back in the exact same spot where there was the healthy stuff. And usually we had a lot of extra stuff over because, you know, they would order so much. And then all of a sudden we have to figure out what to do with it. So I would see that firsthand every year when people break their resolutions. Um, And so what I want to talk about today is not New Year's resolutions. You know, we don't need uh, a a New Year's time to commit to the things that we're supposed to do. And a lot of times we make New Year's resolutions just to make ourselves feel better. 
But what I want to talk about is about living a lifestyle of obedience to God all year long. And the title of this message is called Jump in the Water, and you're going to see why here in just a minute. So what do you think of when you think of obedience? Is it a positive word, negative word? It can be both, right? If I want my kids to obey, that's a positive thing. If I'm supposed to obey God, eh, you know, now we're kind of iffy territory. Turn with me to 2 Kings 5. We're going to read a story. It's going to be on the screen too. 2 Kings 5.1. So the king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But through Naaman, he was, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. She's talking about Elisha. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take away? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, to heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farfar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey what he says. Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went in the Jordan River seven times, dipped himself, and the man, as the man of God instructed, and his skin became healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. I love this story for many reasons. If you want to read later, uh, the rest of the story is actually interesting too because Elisha doesn't take the gift that was brought to him, but Elisha's servant actually runs up and meets Naaman later and says, oh, you know all that gold and silver you brought? I actually want it. And then his servant gets the leprosy that Naaman got healed from. So really fascinating story. But what's very interesting about Naaman is that he was, from, he was not from Israel. So he heard about Elisha. And he went to go seek after this healing. And I think it's hilarious, too, that he went to the king of Israel. And the king's like, what am I supposed to do with you? What, you know, he's trying to pick a fight with me. He got all sad. And then Elisha's there in the town. So obviously the king knew about Elisha, but he didn't think about Elisha when it comes to a healing. And so Elisha comes up and says, all right, this is what you need to do. You need to go bathe seven times in the Jordan River. And with that, Naaman kind of gets... 
hey, why don't you just come out here, wave your hand over my leprosy, and I'll be healed. It's a lot easier to do it my way. But he had to go wash seven times. Now, Naaman kind of wanted a home field advantage. So he's from this land of Aram, which is Syria, and he wanted to go to these two specific rivers instead of the Jordan River. What's interesting about this is that those two rivers he mentioned were called uh, the rivers of gold. They were known for, uh, you know, being very pretty, uh, having a lot of splendor. And he wanted to go to those rivers because it's what he knew. It's from his hometown. The Jordan was actually in Israel, and the Jordan River was considered clay-colored and slow-moving, not necessarily a river that you would expect for a cleansing miracle, right? And so he's like, why do I have to go to this river? It's gross-looking. I want to go to the river I know to be able to get this healing you promised. And also, why do I have to go seven times and bathe? doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you could probably bathe once and get almost everything. Why do I have to do it seven times? And so his uh, servants had to kind of talk some sense into him. And sure enough, he went to go do that thing he was commanded. And how many of you know that sometimes we put expectations upon God for the things that we want him to do for us? It makes so much sense, God, if you just do it this way, this way that I know that I'm comfortable with, that's in my comfort zone, why do I have to go do this that makes absolutely no sense according to the world's standards? But Naaman did that. He bathed seven times. Just think about bathing seven times, getting in the dirty Jordan River, coming out, washing off, drying off, going back in, okay, two, three, four, five, six, seven times bathing, and sure enough, he got his miracle. This is uh, why obedience is so important, right? He comes with an agenda. He, he has enough faith to go seek out Elisha. He knows about him being a prophet of God, but he actually had to go and do the thing that God was telling him through the prophet. It's not enough just to have faith and say, all right, God, do your thing. Sometimes we have to actually walk in obedience to see the miracle and the blessing that God has for us. What's interesting about this story, too, is that Jesus referred to Naaman in Luke 4.27. Did you know that? So Luke, Jesus refers to Luke when he's cast out of his hometown. He refers to the story of Naaman as Naaman being the only person healed of leprosy during this time in Elisha's time. The only person. So this is a Gentile that came from a land of Syria to Israel, and there was plenty of other lepers in Israel, but no one else had the faith to seek out Elisha, but Naaman, a Gentile. And Jesus brings this up as having faith, uh, you know, to seek after what God has for you. So that's a pretty cool side note. So oftentimes when we talk about obedience, we want the quick fix. We want to, you know, we want God to bless us without actually putting in the work. And what's important to realize, too, is that with obedience, prayer is not designed to remove your obedience. Did you know that? We pray for things a lot. We pray for things that sometimes we want to eliminate our responsibility. We want God to do all the work. We don't want to actually walk in faith sometimes. And so we pray away things when it actually is required of us to follow through in obedience. I'll give you some examples. Here's some things we want a quick fix for. We want to be free from anger, but we don't want to forgive those we're angry with. We want to be free from lust without being in accountability with other people. We want to be financially secure without trusting God with our finances. 
We want God to heal us without asking for prayer or learning the lessons while we're in the trial. We want to have a dynamic prayer life but just can't seem to find the time. We want God to bless us without putting him first in our life. We want a happy marriage without honoring our spouse. We want children that honor God without modeling it for them ourselves. And we want to pray for revival without being willing to be used by God for revival. Do you relate to any of those? So prayer is designed to strengthen us to be able to do the work God has for us. And I thought about the last one a lot. You know, we, we hear a lot about revival today and and a lot of times our prayer and my prayer in the past has been, God, do it, do it, bring revival. Your people need you. But then I look back at myself and say, what am I doing for this thing that I want? God, how can I be used by you? Even if it seems small, how can I be used by you and be obedient to your plans and your purposes in my sphere of influence where you've called me today? We talk about obedience. There's another great example from King Saul. King Saul was uh, selected by God. He had everything going for him. He was the first king of Israel. But pride and lack of obedience got the best of him. And we see this when he was commanded to destroy the Amalekites. This is in 1 Samuel 15. So he was commanded to go destroy the Amalekites. And God said, I'll be with you, but don't take any plunder. Don't take anything. Destroy everything. And what did Saul do? He took... (laughs) the plunder for himself. But what's really interesting is that he tried to justify it. He tried to offer some of that stuff as a sacrifice to God and say, I'll keep some of this plunder, but then we're cool, God, because I'm going to sacrifice some of it to you. It's kind of like when you ask to win the lottery. It's like, if I win the lottery, I'll give you 15%, God. I mean, it's all, you know, it may be 16. We'll see how it goes. But this is what Samuel said to King Saul. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Pretty strong statement over lack of obedience. Saul just had a powerful victory over the enemy, and yet he's being called out because of his lack of obedience. Obedience and rebellion, rebellion is as unto witchcraft, and what's interesting is that Saul would later go to see a witch. Witchcraft. Was that an open door to this type of lifestyle? Probably. He didn't have his heart right before God. He thought that he could justify disobeying God if he did sacrifice. Now, I want you to see that this was a radical statement in this culture, that obedience is better than sacrifice. This culture was surrounded by sacrifice. Just read Leviticus. You see how much sacrifice was important in this culture, and Samuel says obedience is much more important than sacrifice. And a lot of times we can't relate to that now because Jesus is our sacrifice, that we don't have to sacrifice lambs and goats anymore, praise God. But at the same time, obedience is still important today in this context. And what what was happening is that Saul uh, Saul was trying to compromise. So he's like, 
well, I'll still follow God to a point, but there's all this plunder, all this wealth. He won't mind if I just do uh, grab a little bit of it for myself, and I'll give some of it back to him. So compromise can get in the way of our obedience to God. And sometimes we compromise obedience by justifying the ends, you know, the ends that justify the means. You know, we might be living with somebody and we justify, well, I'm going to get married eventually. I don't want to give back my money to God because expenses are tight right now. God knows where I'm at. I can't give my time because life is crazy. I'll kind of reassess in six months and kind of see where I'm at. And I watch things I shouldn't, but I always repent on Sunday morning without fail. See, we do this compromise. So I want you to think what needs to change in your life. As we go into this new year, it's, it's a, as good of time as any to kind of reassess what are some things that maybe you're not following God in. We all have them. They're sometimes small, sometimes big, sometimes things that you know God has put on your heart, but you've ignored and you've ignored, and you've ignored. What are those things? There's not one right answer for everybody. You really have to go before God and say, God, what do you want for me? How can I be used by you? What are the passions you're putting on my heart that I'm kind of ignoring that I need to just go and jump in the water and see what you have for me on the other side of this obedience? I thought about this a lot, too, is that if you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same results you've always gotten. It's just true in life. If you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same results you've always gotten. If you just, uh, you know, always want to have a good prayer life and can't seem to get there, what do you need to change, right? If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. There's, not, there's nothing magical to it. It just takes effort. It takes practical steps to start to get habits, to start to do the things that we know we're supposed to do, but life gets in the way, our excuses get in the way, and a whole bunch of other things get in the way. So the question really becomes, how do we know, this sounds great, I want to obey God, how, how do I know what he's saying? How do I know what God is saying? Isn't that really the question we ask a lot? How do I know what God is telling me? Me specifically, how do I know that? How do I, can I discern the voice of God? If I knew, if God just told me in a booming voice, I would do it, no questions asked. I talk about discernment a lot, and really, it's, it's nothing too complicated, right? The, the, the main source of knowing what we're supposed to do is the Word of God, right? It does not change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so a lot of times, we try to make it complicated, you know? We, we pray like, God, should I love my neighbor? The answer is yes. We've been told that. There are a lot of things in the Bible that are very clear of what we're supposed to do, but a lot of times we try to say, well, that's, that was for then. I need something specific for me now. And the good news is we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that will lead you and guide you and give you specific revelation on what you're supposed to do. We have the Bible, the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, we cannot read the Bible. We cannot listen to the Holy Spirit. And the other source of discernment I talk about is godly relationships, people that God has put in your life, a spouse, a friend, a mentor, a pastor, somebody who can speak life into you, who's gone ahead of you, who has wisdom, who can start to talk about your life and say, hey, I see you going towards this, this pitfall. You might need to turn away. 
And we need to be able to listen to those people God has put in our life. That's how we know God's will. But we have to be, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. I'm going to pray January 1st, and I'm going to get my marching orders for the rest of the year. That's not how it works. We have to be in community with each other. We have to be in relationship with God all year long, every single day. That's how we know his will. By that, that still small voice sometimes we can't hear when life is so distracting and we don't pick up our Bible, we don't pray, and then we're lost. We're like, a, you know, in the sea with no lighthouse, you know, telling us where to go, the direction we're supposed to go, but it's here right in front of us if we just follow what he wants us to do. With obedience, too, it's important to remember that God's direction for you may not be the same for someone else. I'll give you an example of this. is the rich, rich young ruler that came to Jesus. Right? Jesus told him, sell everything you have. He had passion. The rich young ruler wanted to be perfect. He wanted to know, what else do I need to do? And this is the only time we know of that Jesus said, sell everything, give it to the poor. Is that something every single person needs to do? No. But God in that moment was telling him to do that, and it was too much for him to do because God knew exactly what he needed, but he was unwilling to obey and walk that through. A lot of times we pray, you know, I'll give my life to God, but I really, really don't want to be a missionary to Africa, right? I don't want to do that one thing that I'm just scared if I start going down this path of obedience that God's going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. You can ask the Tealies how that goes. God will sometimes call you to do that. But here's the thing. He will put a passion in your heart to do that thing. It's not that he's a cosmic killjoy just waiting to get you. He will put that passion to do the things you may not even think that you want to do. But if you're listening and you're obedient and you're so attuned to his voice, he will put that passion in you to do that thing that maybe only you can do. Maybe only you can reach that loved one or reach that friend, or serve in a particular way. You might be the only person that can do that. There's a quote from Henry Blackaby, who I really didn't know who it was, but uh, I love this quote. He's an uh, evangelist. If you know God loves you, pretty easy right there. We know God loves us. You should never question a directive from him. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it, you are to obey it. Isn't that good? Sometimes we have that thought of what we're supposed to do. God puts that passion in us, but then we debate the heck out of it. We discuss it to death. We just think about it without actually doing it. That's the difference with obedience, is doing the thing that God is calling you to do. However tough it might be, however uncomfortable it might be, Hint, it usually is. If God is calling you to do something, it's usually to push you out of your comfort zone. But we'll see that there is a blessing that follows when we obey God. So there's three things that will sabotage our obedience to God, and I made them easy into ABCs. Ready? Three things that will sabotage our desire to obey God. The first one is apathy. Apathy. I'm just tired. I'm just comfortable I'm just, you know, God doesn't really need me. I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. Someone else will do it. Now is not the time, right? All these excuses. 
because we're apathetic. It's not that we're necessarily lazy. We're just not ready for that thing, whatever it might be. Life is just busy. We're so, you know, busy with work and school and kids and all these things that that thing that God's calling us to do, uh, God's good. God's got it. We're good. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. We're, we're, we're fine. We make those excuses out of apathy. The second thing that will sabotage your desire to obey God is bitterness. So maybe God didn't come through for you in the past. Maybe you've tried this church thing. Maybe you gave your money and your time before and God didn't come through the way you thought he should. Maybe you're hurt by church. Maybe you're hurt by a leader. Maybe you're hurt by some, you know, a relationship. Maybe you put yourself out there and didn't go the way I planned, and now I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to play it cool. And you won't admit it necessarily, but you're a little bitter against God. And we have to watch out for that because God's plans and his purposes are perfect, but people come in the mix. Life comes in the mix. Sin comes in the mix. There's a lot of things that come into the mix. And just because you obeyed God doesn't mean that he failed you. What matters is your obedience, not the results. The final thing that will sabotage your desire to obey God is comparison. We live in a culture of comparison thanks to social media. We look at other people's callings, their plans, what God is using them for, and we start to compare our abilities. We start to compare our, you know, how much God will, can really use us, you know, and uh, I mean, not just from obedience to God, but just comparison in general. I mean, you, you pull up Facebook, Instagram, and you see the perfect picture of the family that right before they clicked that photo, they were screaming, yelling at each other, but you don't see that, right? You just see the smiling faces. You see them on vacation every other week, and you're like, man, why can't I have that? God, where's, why, you know, why did I get a, a lousy deal in life? Because we start comparing to other people. And the same goes with our call that God has given you. Don't compare your call to somebody else. Just don't. People want the platform. People want the, the, the without the process to get there. When you see, you know, these preachers or anybody else at mega churches or doing these amazing things, you don't know, you don't know their story, right? You don't know the struggle that they had to get there, the amount of pain and suffering, or the fact that maybe they're not in God's will. They're just uh, building their own kingdom and not God's. You don't know any of that. So don't compare with other people. Stay focused. Stay in your lane, as they call it, focused on what God has for you to do. So those are the three things we have to watch out for, apathy, bitterness, and comparison. A lot of times when you follow God, it won't necessarily make sense to the world's standards. Uh, you know, when I left uh, my job at 24 years to be full-time ministry, uh, it wasn't a decision that would make sense if you put it on a flow chart, if you put it on pros and cons, right? It makes a lot more sense to stay at a place where you're financially secure, where, you know, all of your training has been. And, and so that was a huge process for me, was to really discern the voice of God and say, okay, even though I can write these things down. There's nothing wrong in doing that, pros and cons. You really have to figure that there's a lot that God has uh, that is not, uh, you know, you can't journal it down is what I'm saying. So 
for me specifically, once I took that step of faith and walked through that door, there was blessings on the other side of it that I did not plan because I didn't know God's plan. Only thing I could do was walk through that first open door and then see what was beyond that. And that takes obedience. takes walking in faith, trusting God that, hey, you know, I've prayed about this. I know this is you. Now it's on me to actually walk through and do it. The timing of the Lord is also important, to recognize the season that you're in and when to move. For me specifically, if I left my job two years earlier, it would not have been the right time. It would have caused a lot of problems because God wasn't in it. So even though it's the right decision, you have to make sure it's the right timing. How do you know that? You pray, you ask for wisdom from other people. You make sure that you hear God fully before you move. But not in a point where you are bound by fear, not wanting to move, once you know it's God, then jump in the water, right? Once you know it's God, then jump in the water. When we obey God, if we trust him fully, we don't see the rules he gives us as oppressive. Why? Because we're in relationship with God. We understand his heart as our Father, our Heavenly Father, that these rules that he gives us sometimes From the outside looking in, the church looks like just a place where you have all these rules. It's no fun. But rules are important for us to obey. Just think of sports. Think of football, right? How many rules, and you look at the playbook, which is super, you know, only the referees probably read it. But the rules are there so you can enjoy the game, right? The rules are there so you can enjoy the game if you have... Uh, no rules in football. It looks like, remember NFL Blitz, people just crashing at each other all over the place, no rules. So we have to look at the rules that God gives us in the word of God that are there for our benefit if we follow them and if we do it his way, not our way. Which speaks of faith too. So faith is important. We all have faith in something. Pastor Nathan talked about this recently. But faith is not just belief. Faith is what you do. Martin Luther said, when it comes to faith, what a living, creative, active, and powerful thing it is. Living, creative, and active. A.W. Tozer says, faith, as Paul saw it, was a living, flaming thing leading to surrender and obedience to the commandments of Christ. That was faith. Faith propels you to obey the commandments of Christ. If you have faith that God is who he truly says he is, if you have faith in the word of God, you will obey the word of God. I get a chance to brag on my wife for a minute. She, earlier this year, she started uh, feeling that God was leading her to uh, serve in the junior high girls on Wednesday nights. Now keep in mind, she's already doing Monday nights, uh, women of the word. She's already leading a children's classroom And she felt like God was saying, you know, if you want to see revival in the kids, you need to go and serve. And this was out of her comfort zone. This was not something that she's necessarily um, had experience in with the junior high girls. But she did it. She did it in January. And this whole year has just been uh, blessings by seeing her impact. However, it might seem as small in a small group of girls, God was calling her to that. And uh, just recently, one of the girls that she thought was the reason for being there at all, gave her life to Christ. 
So yeah, give yourself a hand for that. And so just something as small as as, as obeying the voice of God, and, and you could she could have rationalized it, I'm doing too much as it is, I can't do that, I'm not trained. You could, all these excuses could have come up, but because of her faithfulness and obedience, she's able to see God use her uh, to bless someone else. I'm going to close on three things to remember about obedience. Obedience is not a process or good intentions. It is action over and over again. Think of your child. If you tell them to do something, hey, take out the, take out the trash, and the next day rolls around, and the trash is not out there, and your child says, I'm getting to it. I'm working on it. Is that going to cut it? <laughs> nope. So we want obedience from our kids, and a lot of times we need to focus on what God wants us to do, which is action when we obey uh, the voice of God. Jesus told the story, too, in the, the parable of the two sons. One son said, yeah, Dad, I'll do exactly what you want, and then later didn't do it. The other son complained, but then eventually came to his senses and obeyed his father. And Jesus gave that example that obedience is what's important. You might complain, you might kick against the goad, as Pastor Nathan calls it, but at the end of the day, what matters is that you are obedient. So even if there's something in your life that you've pushed back on, you don't want to necessarily commit to it, just know that it's better late than never when it comes to obeying Christ. Second thing to remember about obedience is there is a blessing that comes from obedience, but it's not always what we think. We think that, oh, so there's blessings that come. That sounds pretty cool. I'm just going to start to obey. But then when you don't see those uh, blessings right away, if that was your motivation for doing it, you're going to give up on it. Just like with the New Year's resolutions that people give up on, right? What, I, I ate right for two weeks. I mean, I'm not seeing the results. Forget this, right? So same thing goes with God. If we start to obey, hey, this is, this is cool. I see God blessing this other person. I'm going to do that to get the blessing. Wrong motivation. We have to obey God because it's the right thing to do. And he will bless you, but a lot of times it's by being a blessing for someone else a lot of times, it's living a lifestyle of faithfulness that you can then look back on and see God's hand on, even though you may not be able to see it on it every single uh, moment of every day. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There is a blessing that comes when you hear the word of God and obey it. Last thing to remember is that the results from obedience are up to God. The results from obedience are up to God. What you can control is your obedience. That's what you can control. We like to be in control. Some of us have kids that love to be in control, like my kids. But what you can control is your obedience to God. The results are up to him. Well, I forgave that person, but they didn't forgive me back. Well, did you do what you were supposed to do? Think about the parable of the sower, right? Lots of seeds scattered along the ground, but it was God who's the one who decides how they grow. So whether we give our time and our talent and our money, we are faithful in doing that, and we let God use it as he wants. So that's my encouragement to you, is to to think about what is that river, the Jordan River, that God's asking you to jump into. It looks 
unappealing sometimes. We can walk up to it, and we like the little toe, you know? Ah, I don't know about that. I'm going to get out of here. But jump in the water. Think about what God is asking you to do and jump in the water. This is uh, kind of going into our next series, too, as we talk about what do disciples do. Everyone in this room, I would imagine you're a disciple of Christ, but a lot of times we need to obey God. And what do we do is that disciples serve and lead. We give of ourselves. And so as we go into this new series, next week I really want you to start to think about as you fast and as you pray and as you think about how do I obey the voice of God, maybe it starts small. Maybe you start by just reading your Bible. Maybe you start by praying every day. I'm going to make a commitment to pray every day, and I'm just going to do it even if I don't feel like it. For me, fasting is a big one because uh, I'm starting to move towards more fasting, but a lot of times for myself, uh, I tried to fast at least one day a week this, this year, but a lot of times I wouldn't pray with it too. And if you don't pray when you fast, it's just Christian dieting. So for me personally, uh, I want to make sure that I fast and pray and maybe even longer uh, time than just one day a week. So for me personally, that's one of my personal goals. So think for yourself too, what is God calling you to do? What is that one thing you're kind of pushing back? And how we can hear from uh, God every day is by keeping our eyes fixed on him. And Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus. One of the things is uh, I wrote a devotional this year called Eyes on Jesus. And uh, this is one of the things that uh, I wrote this really to be a blessing, not to make any money or fame off of it. Um, But it is a 90-day devotional, and it's something that uh, we want to put in your hands as a gift from LifePoint. So they're going to be on the table as you walk out. I would encourage you to grab a copy. Uh, And I really do pray that this helps you with your quiet time with God, with the Bible, to really seek after God this year. What does he have to say to you? And uh, grab a copy if you're interested. We're going to move into communion now, so if you don't have the elements, you can grab those on the back table too. Communion is one of the things that we do out of obedience. Jesus said, do this as I have done it. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come before God right now, we're just going to take a second to to, to think about what God is impressing upon you. What is the thing that you think you need to start doing? What is the thing that God is pushing upon your heart to say, hey, I'm still here. I'm waiting for you to come and to do this one thing that only you can do, that God is calling you to do, maybe in your family or your situation or your workplace. Only you are equipped to be where God has placed you, in your sphere of influence, and it is a blessing to be used by God. As we take the bread, we remember God, Jesus' body that was broken for us, that as we remembered Christmas, that he came as a baby, he didn't stay a baby, he went to the cross for us, bloodied and bruised for our sins, so that we don't have to sacrifice Anymore, that that is the one sacrifice we need to restore our relationship with the Father. So as we remember his body on the cross, what the ramifications of that are in your life 
that he did that out of obedience to the Father. And in our life too, we have a commitment to God that we serve to obey him. Go ahead and take the wafer. Matthew 26, 28 says, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we have the promise that we will drink this again, and in remembrance of God, we drink it now. So Lord, we honor you with our, our, our lives. Lord, we're thankful that you gave everything for us. We're thankful for the blood that covers our sins, that heals us, that restores relationship with us, Lord. And we look ahead to your second coming, Lord, that we will do this again with you. Lord, our lives are a living sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen.